Well, the third chapter of the book of Ruth ended with the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger was, will Boaz be able to marry Ruth and be the family redeemer? That is his desire to do that. But if he remember, there is a closer family redeemer than himself who is able to reacquire the property and the inheritance of Elimelech. And so now the ball is in Boaz's court as he now has to go encounter this uh, nearer family redeemer and give him the opportunity uh, to be able to redeem this inheritance. And so well, that's exactly what we're going to see as we read now chapter 4. And as we read this, uh, keep in mind the, the importance of the city gates. The city gates were the center of city life where all the important assemblies in the city occurred. It was where you would have legal transactions take place. Legal judgments were made there. Uh, public business was carried out there. And so that's why this is where we're going to see Boaz go. So you notice in Ruth chapter 4 verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and had sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you tell you of it and and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders and of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know there, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilim. And Mahon, and Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Melon, I have brought to be my I have brought to be my bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of the native place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. 
Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's stop there in the account at this time. All right. Narrative is really great here. As we just mentioned, the the city gates is the place where you need to go in regards to this. And so here is Boaz and he sits in the city gates and he gathers the elders and he waits for this nearer redeemer to come. Now, what is really fascinating about the story is there are some interesting plays that happen here that, as we've seen in the book of Ruth, to get lost in English translation. And one of them is very interesting of what it describes in, in verse one, when it says, turn us side friend and sit down here. That word friend is not really what the word is. And the problem is how to translate what this this word is. You'll notice that he's not given a name and it's not that he calls him friend. The Hebrew there is a Hebrew idiom. And the idiom would be equivalent to what we would say, Mr. So-and-so. We're not giving a name and it's not an acquaintance. It's not saying, here friend or here my acquaintance or giving some kind of warm, uh, affectionate title, brother or so-and-so. But rather, the text is being vague and saying, I'm not telling you his name. He is... Mr. So-and-so. And so Mr. So-and-so came by. And so it's really interesting how that plays out. And it may very well be because he refuses the right of redeeming that the text says we are not going to record who he is because he doesn't uh, give the obligation of what was given to him as first in line. Maybe that's the reason why. We don't really know the reason why. But it is a, a fascinating idiom that the Hebrew uses here to draw attention away from him that we don't know who he is. And it's not just simply saying, hey, friend, but it really is uh, Mr. So-and-so. The Net Bible, I think, is interesting. It goes with Mr. John Doe. And you go, okay, that works also as a way of, it's just the no-name. That's who this person is. And so that's what is being offered. You notice what Boaz does and says, let me tell you the story of what has happened, that Naomi has come back from Moab, and so now the family inheritance and the land is for sale. And so it is your first right to be able to redeem the land. And what is interesting in how that plays out is that at the end of verse 4, he says, I will redeem it. And when you're reading that for the first time, you're going... Oh no, (laughs) you've read this great love story of Boaz and Ruth and Ruth has gone to great efforts to call for Boaz to to be her redeemer. Remember to go in there at night and is there and uncovers his feet, is there at his feet and desiring for her, for him to cover her, a symbol then of this covenant that you'd enter into, that we'll be married and you'll take care of me the rest of your days. And he says, I will do that, but there's one closer to me that has the right to be your redeemer. And so here is this scene now and and okay redeemer are you willing to do it and he goes yes I will and you just go well that just ruined the story oh no (laughs) but what's interesting then is in verse 5 Boaz explains the rest of the story on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi 
You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead of the inheritance. And with that, then, he goes ahead and refuses them taking the right. So in looking at this, I think we need to take a little bit of explanation of what is going on then uh, in this scene. We mentioned earlier that when it came to this particular situation, marriage is not a requirement of the Redeemer. If you remember back a couple of chapters ago, we put a list of all the things that a Redeemer would do, and they were supposed to be the one to be, in essence, a benefactor. You would come in economically because you wanted that the land would stay within the family inheritance and it wouldn't be given over to somebody else. And so that was one of the primary functions of a Redeemer. One of them that we usually know pretty well is regarding the cities of refuge if there's that accidental death. And it was the Redeemer who would be the one who would go after them uh, until they would stay in the city of refuge. So the Redeemer played a very important role uh, in the family life of Israel. But one of the things that he wasn't required to do is marry. However, what you see Boaz doing is laying out a moral obligation that exists to this family Redeemer. And I think that is why often people wonder, well, why does he explain the whole Redeemer of the land situation in verse 4, but leaves out Ruth until he says yes, and then he goes, oh, by the way, it seems, let me tell you about Ruth as well. And I think the reason why is this, is because the marriage is not the requirement, and Boaz is now going to say, but you still have a responsibility to care for Naomi and Ruth in this situation. That would be a role that you would play. I was trying to come up with a a, a parallel of, of some sorts and try to help us understand that moral obligation and idea. And the, the best that I could kind of think of would be something like if later on down the road and my brother-in-law passed away, I wouldn't be able to sit back and go, well, I have absolutely no obligation to take care of my sister-in-law in any way whatsoever. You show me that thou shalt do this to my sister-in-law and take care of things. Well, I'm not going to fight that exactly. But there's the obvious obligation to that. You can go to all kinds of scriptures that would lay out these kinds of obligations in regards to these kinds of things. And that's the best kind of handle I can give you of what's happening here. Is no, you don't have a requirement directly in terms of marriage for Ruth that you'd have that decision. Your requirement is the financial obligation. But it's not just simply land that's tied to this. We have Naomi and Ruth and there is the obligation for them to be taken care of. And so you're going to have to provide that role. And so you'll notice that that's when he steps back and says, I will not do it. In fact, his answer is particularly interesting because it says there, uh, I will impair in verse six. I cannot redeem it myself lest I impair my own inheritance. And you kind of wonder, what does he exactly mean by that? And, And likely what he's pointing out is here he's going to pay for this land and he's going to buy this inheritance. However, in the obligations of of buying the land and all that would come with it, by marrying Ruth, the offspring of himself and Ruth would be the ones to receive the land and any investments that were put into that property. It wouldn't be to him and to whatever family he already presently has. And so he's saying, if I spend all of this money in buying the land... None of that is coming back to me and my family. It's all going to go to the descendants of Ruth. 
And so he's saying, this will impair our inheritance. I can't do that. You go ahead and take on that responsibility instead of me. So that seems to be the likely back and forth of what's happening here and why it's framed the way it is. is If it's just simply keeping the, the property within our family, hey, great, that sounds wonderful. I'll buy the land and keep it in our family. And he goes... But there's more to it than that. Even though that's the legal obligation, there are these two women who are you're also responsible for as well. And that's when he goes, that's going to be a problem. And so he turns then all these things over to Boaz. Then the scene becomes absolutely stunning in a description of really the rest of it is all about God blessing. It is a fascinating picture of all the blessings that are laid out. Those begin in verse 11 where all the people who are at the gate of the cities after this deal is done. So this is very immediate here as this inheritance is now going to be given over to them and they're all witnesses. Then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. Now listen to the blessing. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And so this blessing is an amazing blessing to say, may Ruth coming to you be as important and up building to Israel as it was when Jacob married Rachel and Leah. Well, that was everything to Israel with Rachel and Leah. I mean, that's what set the whole thing in motion for the existence of Israel at all. That's how you get the 12 sons and the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this is an enormous blessing to say, may the the blessing that comes to Israel and the extent of it being built up, may it be like what happened with Rachel and Leah. May that be to you as well. Please consider also with Rachel and Leah, there is a back and forth of barrenness that is occurring in that. And we have seen in Ruth the barrenness situation as well. That plays out again here in in verse 12. May your house be like that of the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so the parallel in regards to Tamar is she had lost her husband and was childless. And we know the unseemliness of all that uh, uh, happened after that. But the point that he's the blessing is getting at is just as Tamar was childless and lost her husband, a great blessing came through Perez. And so may it also be with Boaz and Ruth. Ruth has lost her husband and she is also childless. And by this marriage to Ruth, may it also be of a great blessing to this family just as it was then. And so what you're seeing in these blessings is this reversal idea that we are going to go from empty to full that before you had nothing you had lost your husband and you had no children we saw this in chapter one this was a scene of doom this was a scene of hopelessness Naomi is going back home from Moab and basically telling Orpah and Ruth you can't go with me because it's not good for me to go home there's not going to be anything left and it's going to be distress and doom for you to come with me and so now we come to chapter four and here is God now giving the reversal and the 
the emptiness that Ruth has experienced is now now going to make her full. In fact, verse 13, I think, really brings out some great things to show that. The second half of verse 13, And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Notice this is the Lord's doing. And that's why we inferred when we saw back in chapter 1 that here's Ruth and Orpah, and at least for 10 years, they're married to Kilian and Malon, and they have no kids. Hmm. And now suddenly, here Ruth now marries Boaz, bang, kid. And is God saying, now I'm reversing where it was barrenness in chapter 1, where it was doom and hopelessness in chapter 1, now God is taking that empty scene and making Ruth full. And so a great blessing is being given there. Also in verse 13, it's easy to read, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. But the Hebrew there is a really unusual phrasing. It's uncommon. That's not how you typically worded it. And the idea of what this wording is, is a, a, a status word. She became a wife. And that's not how you talk and say, well, you became this. But what's happening is what we have seen in this book is this change of status in Ruth's life. Back in chapter 2 in verse 10, she is described as a foreigner. When you get to verse 13, after Boaz has shown that first act of kindness to Ruth and says, you go ahead and stay here and don't go to anybody else's field, she turns the terminology and calls herself a servant and is of the Hebrews of the lowest level that you could use. And so she's moved from, I'm a foreigner when she meets Boaz, but the kindness of Boaz, she's now described as this low level servant. When you move to chapter three and the dealings of Boaz, even more with the offer that to Boaz of, will you put your wing over me and your garment over me and provide for me? And she says, now I have been elevated to a higher level servant. Unfortunately, a lot of translations with different Hebrew words are using the same word servant. But there are a lot of translations that show that distinction from chapter 2, 13 to chapter 3, verse 9. Two different words. She's moved up in status to a higher level servant. And now here in chapter 4, verse 13, the language is she became a wife. We've gone from outsider, Moabite, foreigner to servant within Israel to higher servant within Israel to now full-fledged wife like Israelite and welcomed into the family of Israel by now this marriage to Boaz. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But a beautiful scene is happening in terms of a transition of, of her status. Now I think something else that is interesting is not only does is the focus on Ruth, it's very important to observe in the text that really the rest of the account is focused on Naomi. You might remember at the very beginning of our study of this book, I made the point that the story is not really about Ruth. Yes, it is about Ruth and her dealings with Boaz. But chapter 1 sets the table that this is all about Naomi. She's lost husband. She's lost two sons. She seems to have absolutely nothing. When she comes back to Israel, all that she has is the loyalty of this woman, Ruth. Notice what transpires here in verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, 
The rest of this message is not directed to saying, Ruth, this is amazing. How wonderful that you have a child. Notice that it is all directed to Naomi. And the words are, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May His name be renowned in Israel. So first thing, Naomi, you are the one that has been blessed. Back in chapter 1, when she returns, she says, Don't call me Naomi. My life is not sweet. Call me Mara. It is bitter. It has been hard. The Lord has done this to me. And so you have all of that played out in chapter 1. And now you come to chapter 4 and notice the great reversal that has occurred in Naomi's life. Is that now the, these people now come to her, the women say to her that you're the one that's blessed. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without the without a Redeemer. Notice then verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher or a sustainer in your old age. Now you have someone to care for you. You have a sustainer, a a nourisher. You have a redeemer. You have a restorer of life has now come on the scene. Your future has now been secured. You're going to be cared for. You're going to be taken care of. Remember, that's hard for us in our society, but in that ancient Near Eastern society, lose your husband and lose your son you are destitute and you are doomed. And so for Ruth to bear a son, now they turn to Naomi and say, look at what God has done. God has rescued you. Now you have a restorer of life. You have a sustainer. You have a redeemer. You have a nourisher. Someone who is going to care for you. In fact, notice the the, the rest of of verse 15 is just staggering words. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now again, we're not used to that culture, but seven sons is a very big deal. Having <laughs> seven sons was, was, was a, a, a picture of great, great prosperity and blessing. And here is the, here are the women saying, what you have in Ruth, And what you had in her loyalty and her virtue and that worthy woman that we saw in her, that is more valuable to you than the seven sons that that you could have possibly had. I mean, think about this. Consider how Naomi's life turns out if Ruth's not loyal and comes back to Israel with her. And that's what they're putting their finger on. They're saying her virtue, her loyalty to you has been far greater to you than even having seven sons. And in fact, to drive this even further, notice verse 17, the women of the neighborhood gave the son a name saying, a son has been born to who? Naomi. Because the story is about her. And now the reversal is complete. A son has been born to Naomi. Her hope in God has not proven false. We saw her broken. We saw her rattled. We see her downcast because of what has happened to her. But we made the point in chapter 1, she still goes back to Israel. And she still goes back to Bethlehem. 
And we saw it in chapter 2 with her dealings with Ruth in chapter 2 and chapter 3. She's still concerned about Ruth and concerned about her well-being and still considering the ways of God and the decisions that she's making. And now we are seeing the reversal come to fruition where the picture is described that Naomi herself has had the son. She is the one who has been provided for, that God has rescued her, that God has sustained her. And her hope now that she is possessed in God has not proven to be false at all. Now... That would be a fantastic ending and we'd all say they lived happily ever after and what a great story. But there is so much more that the book has laid out for us that we'll spend the rest of our time talking about. You'll notice the very end lays out a genealogy. And you know how we are with genealogies. You're just like I am. Next page, right? You go, okay, a bunch of names and let's move right along. But notice where the genealogy ends up. It starts with Perez and goes back. There's that Tamar blessing back there. Look at the blessing of what had happened with Tamar who was without husband and without child and how she is richly blessed. And the scene now moves through the names and you get to Boaz in, in verse 21 and then you get to Obed at the end of verse 21 and notice the the son that Obed is going to have is Jesse. And the son that Jesse is going to have is David. And you just step back and go, whoa. <laughs> this is amazing. And what we have now are some huge messianic themes now that are being laid out for us in the book that we now have to go back and re-examine. The most obvious with the genealogy that's being set up for us is the messianic line is now remaining intact. As readers of this, we're able to look at this and go, look at what God was able to do. Look at where David came from. Here is yet again another hopeless situation that God has brought blessing to. We saw that with Abraham, and we saw it with Isaac, and we saw it with Jacob, that God likes to take hopeless situations and cause a reversal and bring it about for the blessing of the nations to bring about so that He would be glorified. And here it is again. Naomi, nothing. Doom, hopeless, and done. But the loyalty of Ruth, she marries Boaz, and look at what's going to come from that. Obed, then Jesse, and then David. And what's interesting is Obed's name. Obed's name means the helper, the servant. Here is a picture again of messianic overtones. We've talked a lot in our Wednesday studies and we've gone through the prophets about typology and how you see these pictures of what is happening in the present is also a picture of future events to come. And here is the same scene as well as here is a time of hopelessness and despair. It's the days of the judges of darkness and sin and evil and yet God is still at work and He is going to deliver a servant, a helper, a savior who's going to come to rescue. That's the most obvious picture. Here is Boaz operating then as a Redeemer and we see Christ who will be the same for us. He will be the Redeemer of Israel. Think about the words of what was told to Naomi about this child. He shall be to you a restorer of life. A sustainer in your old age. Here is this great messianic undertone of when Obed comes, 
He will be this one who is sustainer, nourisher, provider, redeemer, restorer of life. And Obed begets Jesse, who begets David. And David, of course, is the greatest foreshadowing of this Messiah who's going to arrive. Not only that, but he's going to be a servant of, for the whole world. One of the things that we got to see in our study of Isaiah is how constantly the Messiah gets the terminology of the servant. He will be the one to serve the world by saving the people from their sins. The typology goes even further. We already mentioned the change of status that we see in regards to Ruth. It is amazing that Ruth is an outsider. She is a foreigner. She is a Moabite. She has no access into this whatsoever. And yet what we are seeing is fascinating is that first we get, here's God using a Gentile to save the world. That's why we get Boaz's name and we get Ruth and Tamar and we get these great names names Rahab in the genealogy of Christ they're all put in there and you go wow here are these moments these instances where we're getting the picture that God would even use Gentiles to accomplish his purposes of the hope of Israel and the hope of salvation to all the world would not be strictly through Israel alone but it even included Gentiles and that message of that genealogy in Matthew 1 which I like you like to get on to chapter two and let's let's get on to the rest of the uh, rest of the story. Get past verse eighteen there, where we have all those genealogies in chapter one, is pointing to something magnificent. That not only is God going to use the foreigners and use the Gentiles to accomplish his his purposes, but that He's even bringing them into the family. That there is a picture here of a covenant relationship that God is going to have and it's not just simply to Israel, but it would also extend to the rest of the world. That even Moabites can enter into the covenant relationship with God. Even the Gentiles would be able to come in because they would have their status changed from being foreigner and outsider to now belonging to Christ. That is one of the great messages of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, in those first 10 verses, we talk very much about us. You know, we were dead in our sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, who saved us. And we like to stop at the end of verse 10, but verse 11 continues in talking to the Gentiles and saying, you Gentiles were strangers and outsiders. You had no part of this covenant whatsoever. But now through the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. And that's being pictured in the book of Ruth. That here is somebody who is on the outside, and now she is brought in. That the foreigners now have access. The foreigners will belong to this covenant. The foreigners will enjoy equal status, equal covenant, equal relationship when Christ comes as those who belong to Israel. And that is what is being portrayed in this beautiful book of of Ruth is showing this wonderful image of how God was going to accomplish that. I think that is so fascinating because you see that idea repeated in the life of Jesus a lot if you think about it for a minute. Think about when there were people there in Jesus' day and you had the people like the lepers And you had people like Samaritans, and you had prostitutes, you had a woman with a flow of blood, and they're all coming to Jesus, and they're all being cleansed, and they're all being healed. 
if a leper touched any other Israelite, what happened to the Israelite? It became unclean. And this is a lot of what you see either in ceremonial ways or even just like in the understanding of how you had those Jews. You think about uh, Simon. Remember when Jesus is reclining at table and this this notorious woman of the city who's full of sin comes in and starts touching Jesus and washing his feet. Remember the mindset of Simon is, if you knew what sort of woman that was, you wouldn't let her be touching you. Because they had this idea of that defilement, and some of it was biblical and some of it wasn't. That, well, we, you touched them, that wasn't doing anything about it. I mean, the Jews were very much to the far extent of, if a Gentile might have touched that, I mean, then that would be defiling. We read of them when they would go to Gentile lands, some of them, they'd shake the dirt off their feet before entering Israel to get all the defilement off their feet before coming in. So you have this concept, and then, so what's fascinating is then you come to Jesus. And he touches lepers. And does Jesus become unclean? No. They're healed. And you go to a woman with a flow of blood. And she touches him. Does he become unclean? No. No. She becomes healed. And now becomes cleansed. You get this beautiful picture again and again of God who is able to rescue and God who is able to reverse the situation, who is able to do what others cannot do. To take those who are outsiders and make them belong. To take those who are unclean and make them clean. To take those who are who are suffering and are downtrodden and to make them whole again. This is the whole picture of what the Christ was going to do is cause these reversals. It was brought to, I'm hoping some of you thought about this in regards to marrying the outsider. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't do that. But you're getting this great picture of reversal is happening. There's going to be a dramatic change. That No, that's not a foreigner. That's an insider. That's the one who belongs to Israel. This is what God is going to be able to accomplish. Think about how God had to specify that directly to Peter in a vision. In Acts 10, what God has made clean, do not call common, in verse 15, is that this has been a consistent theme of what God was going to do. And here you have in the Old Testament, even in the story of Ruth, this picture of, I'm going to cause a reversal. I'm going to make the unclean clean. I'm going to make the foreigner now belong as Israel. I'm going to incorporate them into the family. It's going to change everything. And you come to the days of Christ and the apostles and you see that coming to life, that expectation that is laid out here in the book of Ruth. And one final picture of typology is the typology of Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting that the whole scene of this book, don't forget where we're at, the whole scene of the book has been in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who it will be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. 
and he shall be their peace. Here is a prophecy from Micah that says, guess what's going to come out of Bethlehem? There's going to be the ruler of Israel who will be our peace. He will be our redeemer. And the picture that even in that prophecy is it would be a time when they would be given up by God, that there's going to be this time of wickedness. There'd be this time of darkness. And yet there's going to be a reversal. Well, God will take that emptiness and he will make us full in Christ. And all the images then that have found, been found in this description about Obed. And then this imagery here is all looking forward to how it's all going to happen again. I love how God does that. God constantly will do something where he will give you a picture. And then he'll just keep repeating the picture again and again. And it gets stronger and stronger. And then finally you get to Christ and you go, oh, that's what you were doing with all of those pictures. Here's the full reality. And so the book of Ruth does that. If here is then in, in Bethlehem a son that is born who will be a redeemer, who will sustain them and be the provider of life, who will give hope and brings in the Gentiles into a relationship so that this hopeless and helpless family is now blessed. And it was going to happen again. As Micah prophesied, And Jesus did it. I hope you see the beauty of how God takes amazing Old Testament concepts and uses them to give us hope and say, this is what I was doing with Christ to give you a sustainer of life, to give you one who would care for you and provide for you and redeem you and do all these things because God loves us so much. I hope you'll think about where you're standing before God today and you see the love that God has for you. I hope that you will consider what God has accomplished through Christ, that it's not only the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful blessing that would be if that's all that it was. But he takes Gentiles and he takes the outsiders and he brings them in. He takes the unclean and makes them clean. He takes those who are lost and now makes them belong. He chooses his people to belong to him. And what a wonderful blessing that is. If you're ready to be a child of Christ and belong to him and serve him and follow him with all of your heart, we encourage you to do that tonight. Turn away from your sins to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and confess Him to be your Lord and Savior, that you will follow and serve all your days, to be baptized then for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can enter a relationship with Him. Will you come and do that now?